Lord. You know us Americans love us some controversial court cases, don't we? Going all the way back to where we burned witches in Salem. Everybody had to watch. Everybody had to come and see what we're doing. Then you get into the modern age with O.J. Simpson and it was on every single damn television in the United States. You know, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. That's all I remember from damn O.J. Simpson. That and that Bronco chase. So now we're going to go back to the 1930s in southern Alabama where a white lawyer with very high values is defending a black man against a white woman who is calling rape. So I'm going to just let you listen to the stories. I'm going to let you make up your own mind. This is, these are two chapters of, of the court case. And um, you're going to learn a lot about Atticus in this in these chapters this is these are the Atticus chapters uh, they build his character they show what his values are and what makes him one of the greatest characters in, in American literature if I may say so now this is my favorite book so I might be biased but anyway I have talked enough Let's get on down to the courthouse and see what's going on in Macon County. Jim, I said, are those Ewells sitting down yonder? Hush, said Jim. Mr. Hectate's testifying. Mr. Tate had dressed for the occasion. He wore an ordinary business suit, which made him look somehow like every other man. Gone were his high boots, lumber jacket, and bullet-studded belt. From that moment, he ceased to terrify me. He was sitting forward in the witness chair, his hands clasped between his knees, listening, listening attentively to the circuit solicitor. The solicitor... A Mr. Gilmore was not well known to us. He was from Abbotsville. We saw him only when the court convened, and that rarely, for the court was usually of no special interest to Jim and me. A balding, smooth-faced man could have been anywhere between 40 and 60. Although his back to, was to us, we knew he had a slight cast in one of his eyes, which he used which he used to his advantage. He seemed to be looking at person when he was actually looking, doing something else of the kind. Thus, he was hell on juries and witnesses. The jury, thinking themselves under close scrutiny, paid attention. So did the witnesses, thinking likewise. In your own words, Mr. Tate, Mr. Gilmore was saying, well, Mr. Tate said, touching his glasses and speaking to his knees. I was called. Could you say that to the jury, Mr. Tate? Thank you. Who was called? Mr. Tate said, I was fetched by Bob. 
Mr. Bob Ewell, yonder, one night. What night was that, sir? Mr. Tate said, it was the night of November 21st. I was leaving my office to go home when Bob, Mr. Ewell came in. Very excited he was. He said he was out, out to get his... Very excited he was, and he said to get out to his house, quick, some nigger done raped his girl. Did you go? Certainly. Got in my car and went out as fast as I could. And what did you find? I found her laying on the floor, middle of the front room, one on the right, as you go right in. She was pretty well beat up. But I heaved her to her feet, washed her face in the bucket in the corner, and she said she was all right. I asked her, who hurt her? She said it was Tom Robinson. Judge Taylor, who had been concentrating on his fingernails, looked up as he was expecting an, an objection, but Atticus stayed quiet. Asked her, who beat her like that? she said yeah he had asked her if he took advantage of her and she said yes he had so I went down to the Robinson's house brought him back she identified him as the one so I took him in that's all there was to it thank you judge thank you said mr. Gilmore Thank you, said Mr. Gilmore. Judge Taylor said, Any questions, Atticus? Yes. Yes, said my father. He was sitting behind his table. His chair was askew to one side, his legs were crossed, and one arm was resting on the back of his chair. Did you call a doctor, Sheriff? Did anybody call a doctor? asked Atticus. No, sir, said Mr. Tate. Didn't call a doctor? No, sir, repeated Mr. Tate. Why not? There was an edge to Atticus's voice. Well, I can tell you why I didn't. It wasn't necessary, Mr. Finch. She was mighty banged up. Something show happened, but it was obvious. But you didn't call a doctor. While you were there, did anyone send for one, fetch for one, carry her to one? No, sir, Judge Taylor broke in. He has answered that question four times. Atticus, he didn't call a doctor. Atticus said, I just wanted to make sure, Judge. The judge smiled. Jim's hand was resting on the balcony rail, tightened around it. He drew in his breath suddenly. Glancing below, I saw no corresponding reaction and wondered if Jim was trying to be dramatic. Dill was watching peacefully. So was Reverend Sykes beside him. 
is it? I whispered. And God, it's hers. Shh! Share. Atticus was saying. You said she was mighty banged up. What way? Well, just describe her injuries, heck. Well, she was beaten around the head. There were already bruises coming up on her arms, and it happened about 30 minutes before. How do you know? Mr. Tate grinned. Sorry, that's what they say. Anyway, she was pretty bruised up when I got there, and she had a black eye coming. Which eye? Mr. Tate blinked, ran his hands through his hair. Uh, let's see, he said softly. When he looked at Atticus, as if he was considered the question childish, Can't you remember? Atticus asked. Mr. Tate pointed to an invisible person five inches in front of him and said it was her left. Now, wait a minute, Sheriff, said Atticus. Was it her left facing you or her left looking the same way as you? Mr. Tate said, um, um, oh yes, then that would make it her right. It was her right eye, Mr. Finch. I remember now. She was bunged up on that side of her face. Mr. Tate blinked again as if something he had suddenly made plain to him. Then he turned his head and looked around at Tom Robinson. If by instinct, Tom Robinson raised his head. Something had been made plain to Atticus also, and it brought him to his feet. Sheriff, please repeat what you said. It was her right eye, I said. No, Atticus walked to the court reporter's desk and bent down to the furiously scribbling hand. It stopped, flipped back the shorthand pad, and the court reporter said, Mr. Finch, I remember now she was bunged up on that side of her face. Atticus looked at Mr. Tate. Now which side again? Heck. The right side, Mr. Finch. But she had more bruises. You want to hear about them? Atticus seemed to be boarding on another question, but he thought better of it and said, Yes, what were her other injuries? As Mr. Tate answered, Atticus turned and looked at Tom Robinson as to say this was something they had not bargained for. Her arms were bruised. She showed me her neck. There were definite, definitely finger marks on her gullet. All around her throat? At the back of her neck? I'd say they all were around, Mr. Finch. You would? Yes, sir. She has a small throat. Anybody could have reached around with... Just answer the question with a yes or no, please, Sheriff, said Atticus dryly, and Mr. Tate fell silent. Atticus sat down, nodded to the circuit solicitor who shook his head at the judge, who nodded at Mr. Tate, who rose stiffly and stepped down from the witness stand. Below us, heads turned, feet scraped the floor. Baby shifted to shoulders, and a few children scampered out of the courtroom. The Negroes behind us whispered softly among themselves, 
Dell was asking Reverend Sykes what that was all about, but Reverend Sykes said he didn't quite know. So far, things were utterly dull. Nobody had thundered. There were no arguments between the opposing counsel. There was no drama. Grave disappointment to all that was present. Atticus was proceeding amicably, as if he were involved in a title dispute. With his infinite capacity for calming turbulent seas, he could make a rape case as dry as a certain. Gone was the terror in my mind of stale whiskey, barnyard smells, and the sleepy-eyed, sullen men of a husky voice calling out on the night, Mr. Fitch, where they gone? Our nightmare had gone with the daylight. Everything was going to come out all right. All the spectators were as relaxed as Judge Taylor, except for Jim. His mouth was twisted into a purposeful half-grid, and his eyes were happy about something, and he said something about corroborating evidence, which made me sure he was showing off. Robert E. Lee Ewell, in, in voice to the clerk's booming voice, a little bantam cock of a man rose and strutted to the stand back of his neck, reddening the sound of his own name. When he turned around to take the oath, we saw that his face was as red as his neck. We also saw no resemblance to his namesake. A shock of wispy, newly washed hair stood up from his forehead. His nose was thin and pointed and shiny. He had no chin to speak of. It seemed just to be a part of his crepey neck. So help me God, he crowed. And everybody in town says Maycab had families like the Ewells. No economic fluctuations changed status. People like the Ewells lived on guests of the county in prosperity as well as in the depths of de the depression. No truant officers could keep their numerous offspring in school and no public official could keep them from congenital defects, various worms, and the diseases in indigenous to filthy surroundings. Maycombs E. Wells lived behind the town garbage dump in what was once Negro cab cabin. The cabin's plank walls were supplemented with sheets of corrugated iron, its roof shingled with tin cams, Tin cans hammered flat, so the only general shape suggested was its original design, square, with two, with four tiny rooms opening into one shotgun hall. The cabin rested uneasily on its four irregular lumps of limestone. Its windows were merely open spaces in the walls, which, in the summertime, were covered with greasy strips of cheesecloth to keep out the varmints that feasted on the Macomb refuse. The varmints had a lean time for it, for the Ewells gave the dump a thorough cleaning every day. Fruits of their industry, those not that were eaten, made the plot of ground round the cabin look like the playhouse of an insane child, which passed for the fence was bits of tree limbs, broomsticks, 
tools of sh tool shafts, all tipped with rusty hammer heads, snaggle teeth rake heads, shovels, axes, grub and hose held on with pieces of barbed wire. Encased in this barricade was a yard, dirty yard, containing the remnants of a Model T Ford on blocks, a discarded dentist chair, an ancient icebox, plus lesser items, shoes, old shoes, worn out shoes, worn out table radios, picture frames, and fruit jars, under which scrawny orange chickens pecked hopefully. On one corner of the yard, though, bewildered Maycomb, against the fence in a line were six chip enamel slop jars holding brilliant geraniums, cared for as tenderly as if they belonged to Miss Molly Atkins. Had Miss Molly Atkins denied to permit a geranium on her premises, people said they were Mayella's Mayella Ewells. Nobody was quite sure how so many children were on that place. Some people said six, others said nine, but there was always several dirty faced at the windows when anyone passed by. Nobody had the occasion to pass by except for Christmas when the churches delivered baskets and when the Mayor Maycomb asked us to please help the garbage collector by dumping our own trees in the trash. Atticus took us with him last Christmas when he compiled with the mayor's, the mayor's request. A dirt road ran past, ran from the highways past. Every town the size of Maycab had families like the Ewell. No economic fluctuations changed their status. People like Ewells lived as guests of the county in prosperity as well in the depths of depression. No truant officers could keep their numerous offspring in school. No public health officer could free them of congenital defects, various worms, and diseases indigenous to filthy surroundings. Maycob's Ewells lived behind the town garbage dump in, when, what, in which was once a negro cabin. The cabin's plank walls were supplemented with sheets of corrugated iron, its roof shingled with tin cans, hammered flat, only to its general shape suggested to its original design, square, with two... Why can't I get this fucking straight? With four tiny rooms opening into a shotgun hall, the cabin rests uneasily upon four irregular lumps of limestone. Its windows were merely open spaces in the walls, which in the summertime were covered with greasy strips of cheesecloth to keep out the varmints, feasted on Maycomb's refuse. The varmints had a lean time of it, though. For the Ewells gave the dump a thorough gleaning every day, and the fruits of their industry, not those that were not eaten, 
made the plot of ground around the cabinet look like the playhouse of an insane child. What passed for a fence was bits of tree limbs, broomsticks, tool shafts all tipped with rusty hammerheads, snaggletooth rakeheads, shovels, axes, grubbing hose held together on pieces with pieces of barbed wire. Enclosed by this barricade was a dirty yard containing the remnants of a Model T Ford on blocks, a discarded dentist chair, an ancient icebox, plus lesser items, old shoes, worn-out table radios, picture frames, and orange and fruit jars, which scrawny orange chickens pecked, hopefully. On one corner of the yard, though, bewildered Macon. Against the fence, in a line, were six chipped enormous slop jars, holding the most brilliant red geraniums, cared for as tenderly as they belonged to Miss Maudie Atkins. Had Miss Maudie Atkins denied to permit a geranium on her per- uh, premises, people said they were Mayella's Ewald's geraniums. Nobody is quite sure how many children there were in that place. Some said six, others said nine, but there were always several dirty-faced ones at the windows when everybody passed by. Nobody had the occasion to pass by except for Christmas when the churches delivered baskets and when the mayor of Maycomb asked us to please help the garbage collector by dumping our own trees and trash. Atticus took us with him last Christmas when he complied with the mayor's request. The old dirt road ran from the highway, past the dump, down into a small Negro settlement about 500 yards beyond the wells. It was necessary either to go back out the highway or go back the length of the road and turn around. Most people turned around in the Negro's front yards. In the frosty December dusk, their cabins looked neat and snug with pale blue smoke rising from the chimneys and the doorways glowing amber from the fires inside. There were delicious smells about chicken, bacon frying, crisp as the twilight air. Jim and I detected squirrel cooking, but it took an old countryman like Atticus to identify possum and rabbit. Aromas that had vanished when we rode past the Ewell's residence. All the little men on the witness stand had that made about him any better than took an old countryman like Atticus to identify possum and rabbit, aromas that had vanished when we rode past the Ewell's residence. All the little man on the witness stand had that made him any better than any of his neighbors. All the little man on the witness stand had that made him any better 
than any of his neighbors was that if scrubbed up with lye soap and very hot water, his skin was white. Mr. Robert E. Well, asked Mr. Glimner. That's my name, Captain, said the witness. Mr. Glimner's back stiffened a little, and I felt sorry for him. Perhaps I'd better explain something to you now. I heard that lawyers' children's, on seeing their parents in the courthouse in the heat of an argument, can get the right ideas. They think opposing counsel to be the personal enemies of their parents. They suffer agonies and are surprised to see them often go out arm in arm with their tormentors during the first recess. This was not true of Jim and me. We acquired no traumas from watching our father win or lose. I'm sorry that can't provide any drama in this respect. But if I did, I would rather it not be true. We can tell, however, when debate became more acrimonious than professional. But this was from watching lawyers other than our father. I never heard Atticus raise his voice in my entire life except to a deaf witness. Mr. Gilmer is doing his job as, Miss, as Atticus was doing his. Besides, Mr. Ewell was Mr. Gilmer's witness and he had no business being rude to him of all people. Are you the father of Miss Mayella Ewell? was the next question. Well, if I ain't can't do nothing about it now. Her ma's dead, was the answer. Judge Taylor stirred. He turned slowly in his swivel chair and looked benignly at the, west, uh, the witness. Are you the father of Mayella Ewell? He asked in a way that made the laughter below us stop suddenly. Yes, sir, Mr. Ewell said meekly. Judge Taylor went on in tones of goodwill. This first time you've ever been in court. I don't recall ever seeing you in here. At the witness's affirmative nod, he continued. Well, let's get something straight. There will be no more audibly audible spec obscene speculations on any subject from anybody in this courtroom as long as I am sitting here. Do you understand, Mr. Ewell? Mr. Ewell nodded. But I don't think he did. Judge Taylor sighed and said, All right, Mr. Gilmore. Thank you, sir. Mr. Ewell, will you tell us in your own words what happened on the evening of November 21st, please? Jim grinned and pushed his hair back. In just your, in, just in your own words was a Mr. Gilmore trademark. We often wondered who else words Mr. Gilmore was afraid his witness might employ. Well, not of November 21st, I was coming from the woods with a little kindling. Just as I got to my fence, I heard Mayella screaming like a stuck hog inside the house. Here, Judge Taylor glanced sharply at the witness and must have decided his speculations were devoid of evil intent. 
for he sub subsided sleepily. What time was it, Mr. Ewell? Just for sundown? Well, I was, uh, I was just saying, I was saying, may Ella be screaming fit to beat Jesus. Another glance from the bench silenced Mr. Ewell. Yes, she was screaming, asked Mr. Gilmore. Mr. Ewell looked confusedly at the judge. Well, Mayo was raising this holy racket, so I dropped my load and I run as fast as I could, but I run into the fence. But when I got distangled, I run up to the window and I see Mr. Ewell's face grew scarlet. He stood up and pointed his finger at Tom Robinson. I seen that black nigger yonder rutting on my Mayella. So serene was Judge Taylor's court that he had few occasions to use his gavel, but he hammered for a full five minutes. Atticus was on his feet at the bench saying something to him. Heck, Tate was the first officer of the county that stood in the middle aisle quelling the packed courtroom. Behind us, there was an angry, muffled groan from the colored people. Reverend Sykes leaned across Dill and me, pulling at Jim's shoulders, elbow. Mr. Jim, he said, you better take Miss Jean Louise home. Mr. Jim, do you hear me? Jim turned his head. Scout, go home. Dill, you take Scout on home. You gotta make me first, I said, remembering Atticus bless dictum. Jim scowled at me furiously, and then said, Mr. Sykes, I think it's okay, Reverend. She doesn't understand it. I was mortally offended. I most certainly do. I can understand you anything you can. Oh, hush. She doesn't understand it, Reverend. She ain't nine yet. Reverend Sykes' black eyes were anxious. Mr. Finch, know y'all here. This ain't fit for Mr. Miss Jean Louise and you boys neither. Jim shook his head. He can't see us from this far away. It's all right, Reverend. I knew Jim would run because he knew nothing that could make him leave now. And Dill and I were safe for a while. Atticus could see us from where he was, if he looked. As Judge Taylor banged his gavel, Mr. Ewell was sitting smugly in the witness chair, surveying his handiwork. With one phrase, he turned happy picnickers into a sulky, tense, murmuring crowd being slowly hypnotized by gavel taps, lessening intensity until the only sound in the courtroom was a dim pink, pink, pink. The judge might as well have been rapping on the bench with a pencil. In possession of his court, once more, Judge Taylor leaned back in his chair. He looked suddenly weary. His age was showing, and he thought about what Atticus had said. He and Mrs. Taylor didn't kiss much. He must have been in a nearly 70. There has been a request, Judge Taylor said, that this courtroom be cleared of spectators, at least of women and children, and the quest will be denied for the time being. Generally, see what they look for, 
and hear what they listen for, and they have the right to subject their children to it. But I can assure you one thing, you will receive what you see and hear in silence, or you will leave this courtroom, and you will not be leaving until the whole boiling of you come before me on contempt charges. Mr. Ewell, will you keep your testimony to the confines of the Christian English usage, that is, if possible? Proceed, Mr. Gilmore. Mr. Ewell reminded me of a deaf mute. I'm sure he had never heard a ju the words Judge Taylor directed at him. His mouth struggled to remain silent with him. But their import registered on his face. Smugness faded from it and was replaced by a dogged earnestness that fooled Judge Taylor. Not at all. As long as Mr. Ewell was on the stand, the judge kept his eyes on him and of daring him to make a false move. Mr. Gilmore and Atticus exchanged glances. Atticus was sitting down again. His fist rested on the cheek and we could not see his face. Mr. Gilmer looked rather desperate. A question from Judge Taylor made him relax. Mr. Ewell, did you see the defendant having sexual intercourse with your daughter? Yes, I did. The spectators were quiet, but the defendant said something. Atticus whispered to him and Tom was silent. You say you were at the window? asked Mr. Gilmer. Yes, sir. How far from it off the ground? About three feet. Did you have a clear view of the room? Yes, sir. How did the room look? Well, it was all slung about like there'd been a fight. And what did you see when you saw the defendant? Well, I run around the house to get in, but he had already run out the front door just ahead of me. I saw who he was all right. I wasn't too distracted by Mayella to run after him. I run in the house, and she was lying on the floor, squalling. Then what did you do? Why, I run for Miss Tate as quick as I could. I knew who it was. I know who it was all right. Lived down yonder in that nigger nest. Passed the house every day. Judge, if I asked this county for 15 years to clean out that nest down yonder, they're dangerous to live around. Besides, they're devaluing my property. Thank you, Mr. Ewell, uh, said Mr. Gilmore hurriedly. The witness made a hasty descent from the stand and ran smack into Atticus, who had risen to question him. Judge Taylor permitted the court to laugh. Just a minute, sir, said Atticus. Could I ask you a few questions or two? Mr. Ewell backed up onto the witness chair, settled himself and regarded Atticus with a haughty suspicion. 
an expression common to Macomb County witnesses when they are confronted by opposing counsel. Mr. Ewell, Atticus began, folks doing a lot of running that night. Let's see, you ran to the house, you ran to the window, you ran outside, you ran inside, you ran to Mayella, you ran for Mr. Tate. Did you, during all this running, run for a doctor? Wasn't no need to. I see what happened. But there's one thing I don't understand, said Atticus. Weren't you concerned with Mayella's condition? I most positively was, said Mr. Ewell. I seen who done it. No, I mean her physical condition. Did you not think the nature of her injuries warranted immediate medical attention? What? Didn't you think she should have had a doctor immediately? The witness said he ain't never thought of that. He never called a doctor in any time in his old life. And if it had, it would have cost him five dollars. That's all? He asked. Not quite, said Atticus casually. Mr. Ewell, you heard the sheriff's testimony, didn't you? How's that? You were in the courtroom when Mr. Tate was on the stand, weren't you? You heard everything he said, didn't you? Mr. Ewell considered the matter carefully and seemed to decide that the question was safe. Yes, he said. Do you agree with the descriptions of Mayella's injuries? How's that? Atticus looked around at Mr. Gilmore and smiled. Mr. Ewell seemed determined not to give the defense the time of his day of the day. Mr. Tate testified that her right eye was blackened and that she was beaten around. Oh, oh yes, yeah, said the witness. I hold on with everything Tate said. You do? asked Atticus mildly. I just want to make sure. He went to the court reporter and said something, and the reporter entertained us for some few minutes by reading Mr. Tate's testimony as it would stock market quotations. Which eye? Which eye? Her left? Oh yes, that would make it her, make it her right. It was her right eye, Mr. Finch. I remember she was now she was bunged up. She flipped the page. Up on that side of her face, Chef. Please repeat. Was it her right eye? I said. Thank you, Bert, said Atticus. You heard it again, Mr. Ewell. Do you have anything to add to that? Do you agree with the sheriff? I holds with the sheriff. Her eye was blackened and she was mighty beat up. The little man seemed to have forgotten his previous humiliation from the bench, and it was becoming quite evident that he thought Atticus was an easy match. He seemed to grow ruddy again, his chest swelled, and even once more he was as red as a little rooster, and I thought he'd burst his shirt at Atticus' next question. Mr. Ewell. Can you read and write? Mr. Gilmore interrupted. Objection, he said. 
Can't you see the witness, witness's literacy has nothing to do with the case? Irrevelant material. Judge Taylor was about to speak, but Atticus said, Judge, if you allow the question, plus one other, you will soon see. All right, let's see, said Judge Taylor. Make sure we see Atticus overruled. Mr. Gilmer seemed as curious as the rest of us as to what was bearing the state of Mr. Ewell's education had on the case. I repeat the question, said Atticus. Can you read or write? I most positively can. Will you write your name and show us? I most positively will. How do you think I signed my relief check? Mr. Ewell was endearing himself to his fellow citizens. The whispers and chuckles below us had something to do with what a card he was. I was becoming nervous. Atticus seemed to know what he was doing, but it seemed to me that he'd gone frog-sticking without a light. Never, never, never on cross-examination ask a witness a question you don't already know the answer to. It was the tenant. I absorbed it with my baby food. Do it, and you'll often get an answer that you don't want. An answer that might wreck your case. Atticus was reaching into his side pocket of his coat. He drew out an envelope, then reached into his vest pocket, unclipped his fountain pen, and moved leisurely as he had turned so he was in full view of the jury. He unscrewed the fountain pen cap, placed it gently on the table, and shook the pen a little, and then handed it, handed it with the envelope to the witness. Would you write your name clearly for us? He asked. Clearly now, so the jury can see you do it. On the back, Mr. Ewell wrote on the back of the envelope and looked complacently to see if Judge Taylor was staring at him for some fragrant gardenia to bloom on out in the witness stand. To see Mr. Gilmore half sitting, half standing at his table, the jury was watching him, one man leaning forward with his hands over the railing. What's so interesting, he asked. You're left-handed, Mr. Ewell, said Judge Taylor. Mr. Ewell turned angrily to the judge and said he didn't see what his being left-handed had to do with anything. He was a Christ-fearing man, and Atticus Finch was taking advantage of him. Tricking lawyers like Atticus took advantage of him all the time with their tricking ways. He had told them what happened. He had said it again and again, and he, which he did. Nothing. Atticus asked him after that, shook his story, that he had looked through the window and ran that nigger off and ran for the sheriff. Atticus finally dismissed him. Mr. Gilmore asked him one more time. About your writing with your left hand. Are you ambidextrous, Mr. Ewell? I, po I am positively am not. I can use one hand as good as the other. One hand good as the other, he added, glaring at the defendant's table. Jim seemed to be having a quiet fit. 
He was pounding the balcony rail softly, and once he whispered, We've got him. I didn't think so. Atticus was trying to show, it seemed to me, that Ewell could have beaten up Mayella. That much I could follow. But if her right eye was blackened and she was beaten mostly on the right side of the face, he could tend to show that a left-handed person did it. Sherlock Holmes and Jim Finch would agree. But Tom Robinson could easily have been left-handed too. Like Mr. Heck Tate, I imagined the person facing me went through some mental, swift mental pantomime and concluded that he might have held her with his right hand and pounded her with his left. I looked down at him. His back was to us, but I could only see his broad shoulders and bold, thick neck. He certainly could have done it. I thought Jim was just counting his chickens. Chapter 18 But someone was booming again. Mayella, Violet, Ewell. A young girl walked to the witness stand as she raised her hand and swore that the evidence she was about to give, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help her God, she seemed somewhat fragile looking. But when she sat facing us in the witness chair, she became what she was, a thick-bodied girl accustomed to strenuous labor. In Macomb County, it was easy to tell when somebody bathed regularly, as opposed to a yearly lavitation. Mr. Ewell had a scalded look, as if an overnight soaking had deprived him of all protective layers of dirt, and his skin appeared to be sensitive to the elements. Mayella looked as if she tried to keep clean, and I was reminded of the row of red geraniums in the Ewell's yard. Mr. Gilmore asked Mayella to tell the jury, in her own words, what happened on the evening of November 21st of last year. Just in her own words. Please. Mayella sat silently. Where were you at dusk on that evening? Began Mr. Gilmore patiently. On the porch. Which porch? Ain't but one, the front porch. Well, what are you doing on the porch? Nothing. Judge Taylor said, just, just tell us what happened. You can do that, can't you? Mayella glared at him, burst into tears. She covered her mouth with her hands and just sobbed. Judge Taylor let her cry for a while and then said, mm-mm. That's enough of that. Don't be afraid of anybody here. As long as you tell the truth, all this I know all this is strange to you, but you got nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to fear. What are you scared of? Mayella said something behind her hands. What was that? asked the judge. <gasps> Him, 
she sobbed, pointing at Atticus. Mr. Finch? She nodded vigorously, saying, I don't want him doing me like he done Papa, trying to make him out like he left-handed. Judge Taylor scratched his thick white hair. It was plain that he had never been confronted with a problem of this kind. How old are you? he said. Nineteen and a half, Mayella said. Judge Taylor cleared his throat and tried unsuccessfully to speak in soothing tones. Mr. Finch has no idea of scaring you, darling. And if he did, I am here to stop him. That is one thing I, that is one thing I am sitting up here for. Now, you're a big girl, so just get up, sit up straight, and just tell us. Tell us what happened to you. Can you do that? I whispered to Jim. Has she got good sense? Jim was squinting down at the witness stand. I can't tell yet, he said. She's got sense enough to get the jury uh, judge sorry for her, but she might just be, oh, I don't know. Mollified, Mayella gave Atticus a final terrified glance and said to Mr. Gilmer, well, sir, I was on the porch, and and he came along, and you see, there's this old chifferobe in the yard Papa bought chop up kindling. Papa told me to do it while he was off in the woods, but I wasn't feeling strong enough, so he came by. Who is he? Mayella pointed to Tom Robinson. I'll have to ask you to be more specific, please said Mr. Gilmore. The reporter just can't put down gestures very well. That yonder, she said, Robinson. Then what happened? I say, come in, nigger, and bust up this chiffer robe for me. I got a nickel for you. He could have done it easy enough, he could. So he come in the yard, and I went to the house to get him a nickel. And when I turned around, before I knew it, he was on me. He just jumped up right behind me, he did. He got around my neck, cussing and saying dirt. I fought, hollered, but he had me round the neck. He hit me again and again. Mr. Gilmore waited for Mayella to collect herself, and she had twisted her kerchief into a sweaty rope, and when she opened it to wipe her face, it was a mass of creases from her hot hands. She waited for Mr. Gilmore to ask another question, but when she didn't, she said, He took me down on the floor and choked me and took advantage of me. Did you scream? asked Mr. Gilmore. Did you scream, fight back? Reckon I did. I hollered for all I was worth. I kicked and hollered as loud as I could. Then what happened? I don't remember too good. The next thing I knew, Papa was in the room standing over me, hollering, Who done it? Who done it? And I sort of fainted. And the next thing I know, Miss Tate was pulling me off the floor and leading me over to a water bucket. Apparently, Mayella's recital had given her the confidence, but not her father's brash kind. It was something stealthy about hers. A steady cat 
with a twitch tail. You say you felt him, fought him off as hard as you could, fought him with tooth and nail, asked Mr. Gilmer. I positively did, Mayella echoed her father. Are you positive you took he took it full advantage of you? Mayella's face contorted. I was afraid she'd start to cry again. Instead, she said, he done whatever he was after. Mr. Gilmore called attention to the hot day by wiping his forehead with his hand. That's all for the time being, he said pleasantly. But you stay there. I expect big bad Mr. Finch has some questions for you. State will not prejudice the witness against counsel for defense, murmured Judge Taylor, primly, at least not at this time. Atticus got up grinning, but instead of walking to the witness stand, he opened his coat, hooked his thumbs on his vest. He walked slowly across the room to the windows. He looked out, but didn't seem especially interested in anything what he saw. Then he turned and strolled back to the witness stand. From long years of experience, I could tell he was trying to come up to a decision about something. Miss Mayella, he said, smiling, I won't try to scare you a while, not yet. Let's just get acquainted. How are you? Said I was 19. Said it to the judge on, on yonder. Mayla jerked her head resentfully from the bench. So you did. So you did, ma'am. You're just going to have to bear with me. Miss Mayella, I'm getting along and I can't remember quite as well as I used to. I might ask you a few things I've already asked before. But you just give me an answer, won't you? I could see nothing in Mayella's expression to justify Atticus's assumption that he had secured her wholeheartedness cooperation. She was looking at him furiously. Won't answer a word. You say as long as you keep mocking me, she said. Ma'am? asked Atticus. Long as you keep making fun of me, Judge Taylor said, Mr. Finch is not making fun of you. What is the matter with you? Mayella looked under her lowered eyelids at Atticus, but she said to the judge, Long he keeps calling me ma'am and saying Miss Mayella, I don't have to take his sass. I ain't called upon to take it. Atticus resumed his stroll to the window and left Judge Taylor to handle this one. Judge Taylor was not the kind of figure that evoked pity, but I felt pang for him as long as he tried to explain. That's just Mr. Finch's way, he said, told Mayella. We've done business in this court for years and years, and Mr. Finch is always courteous to everybody. He's not trying to mock you. He's trying to be polite. That's just his way. The judge leaned back to Atticus. Atticus, let's get on with these proceedings. Let the record show that the witness has not been sassed and her views to the contrary. 
if anyone I wondered if anyone had called her ma'am or Miss Mayella in all her life. Probably not. The judge leaned back. Atticus, let's get on with these proceedings and let the record show the witness has not been sassed or... The judge leaned back. Atticus, let's get on with these proceedings and let the record show that the witness was not sassed and her views to the contrary. I wondered if anybody had ever called her ma'am or Miss Mayella in her entire life. Probably not, as she took offense to routine courtesy. What on earth was her life like? I soon found out. You say you're 19, Atticus resumed. How many brothers and sisters you got? He walked from the windows back to the stand. Seven, she said, and I wonder if they're all like the specimen I had seen the first day of school. You the eldest? The oldest. Yeah. How long has your mother been dead? Don't know, long time. Did you ever go to school? Read and write, good as papa. Mail sounded like a Mr. Jingle book I had read in, in reading. How long did you go to school? Two, three year, I don't know. Slowly but surely, I was beginning to see the pattern of Atticus's questions from the questions of Mr. Gilmore. Did not seem so sufficiently irrelevant or immaterial to object to. Atticus was quietly building up before the jury a picture of the Ewell home life. The jury had learned the following things. Their relief checks were far from enough to feed the family, and they had a strong suspicion that Papa drank it up anyway. He sometimes went off into the swamp for days and came home sick. The weather was seldom cold enough to re require shoes, but when it was, you could make dandy ones from strips of old tires. The family hauled its water in buckets from a spring that ran down the end of the dump. They kept the surrounding area clear of trash, and it was everybody, everybody for himself as far as they kept, as far as keeping clean went. You wanted to wash, you hauled your own water. The younger children had perpetual colds and suffered from chronic ground itch. There was a lady who came round sometime and asked Mayella why she didn't stay in school. She wrote down the uh, why she didn't stay in school. She wrote down the answer with two member family members reading and writing. There ain't no reason for the rest of them to learn. Papa needed them at home. Miss Mayella, Atticus said, in spite of himself. A nineteen year old girl like yourself must have friends. Who are your friends? The witness frowned, puzzled. Friends? Yeah. Don't you know anybody near your age or older? Younger boys, girls? Just, you know, ordinary friends. Mela's hostility, which had been subsided 
to grudging neutrality flared again. You making fun of me again, Mr. Finch? Atticus let her question answer his. Do you love your father? Miss Mayella was his next. Love him? What you mean? I mean, is he good to you? Is he easy to get with? He does tolerable, except when... Except when... Mayella looked at her father, who was sitting with his chair tipped against the railing, who sat up straight and waited for her to answer. Except when nothing, she said. He does tolerable. Mr. Ewell leaned back again. Except when he's drinking, asked Atticus, so gently that Mayella just nodded. Does he ever go after you? What do you mean? When he's riled, has he ever beaten you? Mayella looked around, down the court reporter, up to the judge. Just answer the question, Miss Mayella, said Judge Taylor. My pa never touched a hair on my head my whole life she declared he never touched me Atticus's glasses had slipped a bit he pushed him on his nose we've had a good visit Miss Mayella and now I guess we better get to the case you say you asked Tom Robinson to come chop up was it what was it a chiff of robe an old dresser full of drawers on one side was Tom Robinson well known to you? What do you mean? I mean, did you know who he was and where he lived? Mayella nodded. I knowed who he was. He passed the house by every day. Was this your first time you asked him to come inside, Fence? Mayella jumped slightly at the question. Atticus was making his slow pilgrim pilgrimage to the window as he had been doing. He would ask a question, then look out, waiting for the answer. He did not see her involuntary jump, but he, it seemed to me that he knew that she had moved. He turned around and raised his eyebrows. Was, he began again. Yes, it was. Didn't you ever ask him to come inside the fence before? She was prepared now. No, I did not. I certainly did not. One did not enough. did not enough asked Atticus serenely you have never asked him to do odd jobs for you before I might have conceded Mayella there's several niggers around can you remember any other occasions no all right now now to what happened you said Tom Robinson was behind you in the room when you turned around that right? Yes. And he said you got to. He got you round the neck, cussing and saying dirt. Is that right? That's right. 
Atticus's memory was suddenly become accurate. You say, he caught me and choked me and took advantage of me. Is that right? That's what I said. Do you remember him beating you about the face? The witness hesitated. You sure seem... You seem sure that he choked you, but all this time you're fighting back. Did you kick, hollering as loud as you could? Did you remember him beating you about the face? Maella was silent. She seemed to be trying to get clear to herself. I thought for a moment she was doing a Mr. Het Tate and my trick of pretending there was a person in front of us. She glanced at Mr. Gilmer. It's an easy question, Miss Mayella, so I'll try you again. Do you remember him beating you about the face? Atticus' voice had lost its comfortableness, and he was speaking in his arid, detached, professional voice. Do you remember him beating you in the face? No, I do not recollect if he hit me. I mean, yes, I do. He hit me. What's your last question? The answer? Huh? Yes, he hit me. I just don't remember. I don't remember. It all happened so quick, I don't remember. Judge Taylor looked sternly at Mayella. Don't you cry, young woman, he said. Because Atticus said, let her cry if she wants to, Judge. We've got it all the time in the world. Mayella sniffed wrathfully and looked at Atticus. I'll get an answer. I'll answer any question you got. Get me up here and mock me, will you? I'll answer any question you got. That is fine, said Atticus. There's only a few more. Miss Mayella, not to be so tedious, you've testified that the defendant hit you, grabbed you around the neck, choked you, and took advantage of you. I want you to be sure you have the right man. Will you identify the man who raped you? I will. That's him, right yonder. Atticus turned to the defendant. Tom, would you please stand up? Let Mayella have a good long look at you. Is this the man, Mayella? Tom Robinson's powerful shoulders rippled under his thin shirt. He rose to his feet, stood with his right hand on his back of his chair. He looked oddly off balance, but it was not from the way he was sitting. His left arm was fully 12 inches shorter than his right and hung dead at his side. It ended in a small shriveled hand and far away from the balcony I could see it was of no use to him. Scout! Scout! breathed Jim. Scout! Look! Reverend! He's crippled! Reverend Sykes leaned across me and whispered to Jim. He got it caught in a cotton gin. Caught it in Mr. Delphon's.
called it in Mr. Delphon's Raymond's cotton gin when he was a boy. Like, bled to death. Tore all his muscles loose from his bones. Atticus said, Is this the man who raped you? It most certainly is. Atticus' next question was one word, lo- uh, one word long. How? Mayella was raging. I don't know how he done it, but he done it. All happened so fast. I... Now let's consider this calmly, began Atticus. But Mr. Gilmore interrupted with an objection. He was... That was nearly irrelevant or irreterrible. But Atticus was browbeating the witness. Judge Taylor laughed outright. (laughs) Sit down, Horace. He's doing nothing of the thing. If anything, the witness is browbeating Atticus. Judge Taylor was the only person in the courtroom who laughed. Even the babies were still. And I suddenly wondered if they had been smothered at their their mother's breasts. Now, said Atticus, Miss Mayella, you have testified that the defendant choked and beat you. But you did not say if he sneaked up behind you and knocked you cold, but you turned around and there he was. Atticus, back behind his table, he emphasized the words by tapping his knuckles on it. Do you wish to consider any of your testimony? You want me to say something didn't happen? No, ma'am. I want you to say something that did happen. Tell us, once more, please, what happened. I told you what happened. You testified that he turned around and there he was. And he choked you then. Yes. Then he released your throat and then hit you? Yes, I said he did. He blackened your left eye with his right fist. I ducked it and it glanced me. That's why it did. I ducked it and glanced off me. Mayella finally had seen the light. You're suddenly becoming clear on this point. A while ago, you didn't remember too well. I said he hit me. All right. Choked you, hit you, then he raped you. That right? Most certainly is. Well, you're a strong girl. What you doing the whole time? Just standing there? I told you. I hollered, and I kicked, and I fought, and I... Atticus reached up and took off his glasses, turned his good right eye to the witness, and rained one question down on her. Judge Taylor said, one question at a time, Atticus. Give the witness a chance to answer. All right. Why didn't you run? I tried to. Tried to. What kept you from doing it? I, he had slung me down. That's what he did. He slung me down and got on top of me. And you were screaming this whole time. I certainly was. Then why didn't the other children hear you? Where were they? At the dump? 
Where were they? No answer. Why didn't your screams make them come running? The dumps are f- closer than the woods, isn't it? No answer. Or did you scream until you saw your father in the window? And you didn't think to scream until then, did you? No answer. Did you scream first at your father insisted of Tom Robinson? What's that? No answer. Who beat you? Tom Robinson or your father? No answer. What did your father see in the window? The crime of rape or the best defense to it? Why, you don't have to tell the truth, child. Bob, didn't Bob Ewell beat you up? Then Atticus, when Atticus turned away from Mayella, he looked like his stomach hurt, but Mayella's face was a mixture of terror and fury. Atticus sat down wearily, polished his glasses with his handkerchief. Suddenly, Mayella became articulate. I've got something to say, she said. Atticus raised his head. What would you like to tell us what happened? She didn't want to hear the compassion in his invitation. I got something to say, and I ain't going to say it no more. That not, that nigger yonder took advantage of me, and you fine, fancy gentlemen want to do nothing about it? Then you're all yellow, stinking cowards. Stinking cowards, the lot of you. Your fancy airs don't come nothing. Your mammon, your Miss Mayellerin, you don't come to nothing, Mr. Finch. And then she burst into tears. Her shoulders shook with an angry sob. She was as good as her word. She answered no more questions, even when Mr. Gilmore tried to get her back on track. I guess she hadn't been so poor and ignorant. Judge Taylor would have put her into jail for contempt. She had shown everybody in the courtroom, somehow. Atticus had hit her in a hard way, and that was not clear to me, but he gave but it gave him no pleasure to do it, and he sat with his head down, and I never saw anyone glare at anyone with the hatred Mayella showed when she left the stand and walked past Atticus. Mr. Gilmore told Judge Taylor that the state rested. Judge Taylor said, about all the time we do, we take 10 minutes. Atticus and Mr. Gilmore met in the front of the bench and whispered. Then they left the courtroom by the door behind the witness stand, which was a signal for all of us to stretch. I discovered I had been sitting on the edge of a long bench and was somewhat numb. Jim got up and yawned. Dill did likewise. Mr. Reverend Sykes wiped his head on his hat. The temperature was easy 90, he said. Mr. Braxton Underwood, who had been sitting quietly in a chair reserved for the press, soaking up testimony with his sponge of a brain, allowing his bitter eyes to rove over to the colored balcony, and they met mine. He gave, he gave a snort and looked away. Jim, Jim, I said, Mr. Underwood's seen us. That's okay. He won't tell Atticus. 
He'll just put it in the social side of the Tribune. Jim turned back to Dale, explaining, I suppose, the finer points of trial to him, but I wondered what they were. There had been no lengthy debates between Atticus and Mr. Gilmer of any points. Mr. Gilmer seemed to be prosecuting almost reductantly. Witnesses been led by the nose as asses are, and the few objections. But Atticus once told us that in Judge Taylor's court, any lawyer who was strict constructionist on evidence usually round up receiving strict instructions from the bench. He distilled this for me to mean that the Judge Taylor may look lazy, operating his sleep, but he was seldom reversed. He was proof of the pudding. Atticus said he was he was a good judge. Presently, Judge Taylor returned and climbed back in his swivel chair. He took a cigar out of his vest pocket and examined, examined it thoroughly. I punched Jill. Having passed the judge's inspection, the cigar suffered a vicious bite. We have come down sometime. We come down sometime to watch him, I explained. It's going to take him the rest of the afternoon now. Now you watch. Unaware of public scrutiny from above, Judge Taylor disposed to the severed end by propelling it expertly from his lip from his lips and saying fuck he hit this platoon so squarely you could hear it slosh I bet he was a hell with the spitball murmured Dale as a rule recess meant general exodus but today people weren't moving even the idlers who had failed to shame younger men from their seats had remained standing along the walls I guess Mr. Tate had reserved the county toilet for the court officers. Atticus and Mr. Gilmore returned. Judge Taylor looked at his watch. It's getting on four, he said, which was intriguing, as the courthouse clock must have just struck the hour at least twice. I had not heard or felt any of its vibrations. Shall we get on? To wind this up this afternoon, asked George, uh, Judge Taylor. How about it, Atticus? I think we can, Judge, said Atticus. How many witnesses you got? One. Well, call him. So the prosecution is rested, and the next, I know the next chapter is at least the defense. It might go into chapter 20. So I wanted to save that for, you know, you got all the prosecution at once. I need you guys to gnaw on that a little bit, and then we'll get into Tom Robinson's uh, defense and Atticus. So uh, we're going to, we're going to start with that. I'm going to let you go for a couple of days before I start reading um, the defense.
because there is. There's a lot of stuff in the prosecution's case that pushed this case either way. So, alright, so y'all, uh, y'all take care for a couple of days and I'll be back with the defense of Tom Robinson. I just want to let you guys know I'm going to be reading two books simultaneously uh, next time uh, I'm going to be reading The Hound of the Baskervilles Sherlock Holmes we all love that book it is one of my favorites I think it is my favorite uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, short stories but I'm also going to be reading at the same time in Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Uh, now this is a true story about a family in Kansas that was brutally murdered. And it is a horribly gruesome book. But not gruesome in the way that you think. It's They've used this in, 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 uh, with, with film. It's very Hitchcockonian in that they don't show violence or they don't speak the violence. The violence comes from little glimpses into things. Like, it's almost written as if a crime scene, uh, a crime scene technician is taking notes. But it is in the mo- it's a it's a graphic book, but it if it wasn't so graphic, it would be so beautifully written. Um, so I really, really, really wanted to read it in cold blood and 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 not have a uh, transition book. But you kind of need a transition book. But I really, really wanted to read Trimit Compotes. So, and uh, like iTunes or wherever you read them, they'll be labeled Hound of the Baskervilles and In Cold Blood. So you don't, you know, mix them up. And there will be, there will actually be two separate chapters too, you know. So when it's listed, it should just be those stories. I highly recommend In Cold Blood. Um, And if you start listening to it and realize, I can't do this, go back to Hound of the Baskervilles. Nice, light Sherlock Holmes. So, um, but anyway, I just wanted to let you guys know, and I'll remind you um, that that is is gonna happen, but it'll be two books at once, one is much more involved than the other but and you know if I finish Baskervilles before I finish In Cold Blood I'll find another short story probably another Sherlock Holmes to to counteract the the violence in uh, Truman Compone's uh, In Cold Blood 
highly recommend you listen. So, alright, that's all I'm going to say on that. I will talk to you guys later.